This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. You know, it's been five days now, really a week, since we gorged ourselves at the Christmas dinner table. Man, oh man, I'm still full. We stuffed ourselves with turkey and stuffing and ham and potatoes and other vegetables, bread, sweets, and other treats. And some of us had more than one big holiday meal over the weekend. You probably had one on Christmas Eve and then again on Christmas, maybe even more than two. And many of us still have leftovers in the old fridge. Well, Carol Harrison is a registered dietitian from Eat Right Ontario and joins us now on the Scott Thompson Show. Carol, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Um, so there's a couple of ways where uh, our listeners can interact with registered dietitians from Eat Right Ontario. There's a hotline, one 510 5102 or they can email by going to eatrightontario.ca if they have any sort of questions about leftovers in the fridge following Christmas, right? That's right. So it could be leftovers, really any food safety questions at all. They've got a food safety hotline right now, Rick, but uh, your listeners should know that they can call anytime or email anytime throughout the year. They might have questions around diabetes, uh, weight control, I'm feeding my baby, oh my goodness, how do I pack a healthy lunch for my kids? Anything to do with food and nutrition, it's a free, friendly service offered by the Government of Ontario and registered dietitians. That's real cool. Uh, how, how much or how big of a problem is food safety here in Canada? Well, you know, food safety really starts on the farm, and I always like to mention we're lucky that we do have a safe and nutritious food supply here in Canada, but things can go sideways at home sometimes, and in fact, actually about... Four million Canadians um, will get food poisoning on average uh, year to year. That's a lot. That is a ton of people. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not pleasant. No, I can I can speak from experience. I've had food poisoning. Uh, my wife and I actually at the same time went to a fast food outlet. I'll spare everyone the name. I'm sure they got stories as well. Mm-hmm. But the next day, I mean, stuff was coming out every orifice we knew. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not pretty. No, not at all. And, you know, really, there's some really simple things that you can do to try and curb your risk, because it's all about risk, and uh, and not be blasé about food poisoning. Like, just sort of take it a little bit serious. So you can still have fun with your friends and family. Maybe people are planning a New Year's Eve party, and they want some food safety party planning tips, and I'd be happy to steer them in the right direction. We'll talk about New Year's parties this weekend, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are planning to, you know, lay out all sorts of uh, treats and sweets and uh, other things for their guests. But um, Christmas, as I said, you know, five days away. My home, like many others out there, uh, still has some Christmas dinner leftovers in the fridge. You know, a little turkey, a little mashed potatoes, a little ham in there. How long can we safely continue to eat this stuff? Well, you know, turkey uh, specifically is like so three to four days. Some foods uh, will last a little bit longer, like if you had say some plain um, pasta or, you know, hard-cooked eggs, for example, would last for a week. And so uh, generally it's uh, a good rule of thumb is like two to three days try to get those leftovers, you know, out of the fridge. I always recommend to people when you're packing up your leftovers to just have a quick, you know, pause and say, will we get to this in the next two or three days if we're not? then I'm going to freeze some of this. And if you're not sure how to freeze or what freezes well or how long things can keep in the fridge, those are great questions to call or email a dietitian at Eat Right Ontario so that you're not taking any chances. And on the other hand, you're not throwing out food that you don't need to because on average uh, Canadian families waste about $1,500 worth of food um, in the year, and that's a lot of money. 
We're chatting with uh, Carol Harrison, registered dietitian, uh, food nutrition expert uh, expert with uh, Eat Right Ontario here on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. We mentioned New Year's Eve parties and New Year's parties uh, going on this weekend. How long can food be left out and still be safe to eat? Right. So if you're playing the party, then you're the official timekeeper, and two hours is the rule. So that's a good rule of thumb for food to be left out at room temperature. And that's because bacteria, that's their happy time. You know, uh, it's warm, it's moist, there's food to eat, and they will multiply. And so two hours is really the limit. I tend to, you know, give people a bit of a last call around the one and a half hour mark to say, hey, seconds, you want seconds? Come and get your seconds, because I'm going to start to pack away some of this food and and not leave it out longer than two hours. You really need to pitch it after two hours. Does that two-hour mark only apply to things that you have actually cooked? Well, certainly, I mean, you can, you know, there's some room for, uh, yeah, I mean, meats, seafood, poultry, any kind of cheesy, you know, egg dishes, um, raw veggies, you know, would be fine um, longer than that. Crackers, you know, will start to go a little bit stale, but they're not going to be. But certainly, yeah, it's, it's really those prepare, a lot of those prepared dishes um, that are warm and moist and have got some protein mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, 2017, many people are, are in the midst of making their New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Many of those will include losing weight. And I know mm-hmm. some, you know, there, there's a member uh, of my family who's into these uh, cleanses, uh, right. juice cleanses, all these. Do these things actually work? No. <laughs> and, you know, again, I would say, uh, you know, it's really a great service that Eat Right Ontario has. You can call and email a dietitian and talk about your goals. Um, my bottom line message is really make your goal to be healthier. And if, uh, if that ends up resulting in weight loss or, you know, you're feeling terrific and you have more energy, there's so many benefits to eating well and, and not just let your success be dependent on a number on a scale. Like what a shame that is. Because uh, I'll be honest with you, most people who try to lose weight um, end up gaining it back. So it's better to just shoot for trying to be healthy. And the dietitians at Eat Right Ontario can give you evidence-based, reliable information. A lot of people might not realize that nutritionist is not a legally protected term. So you could call yourself a nutritionist and hang up a shingle and be giving out nutrition advice that's not evidence-based. But a dietitian um, is a regulated health profession in Ontario. You're getting trusted advice from Eat Right Ontario. Again, that Eat Right Ontario website, eatrightontario.ca, or you can call the hotline anytime, one 510 Eggnog is a holiday favorite. Is there a safe way to make homemade eggnog? Yeah, sure thing. Well, you can start with pasteurized eggs. That's a, a safe way to do it. And uh, if you're using your regular eggs in the fridge, um, that's great because uh, the eggs you buy at the grocery store come from a farm in Ontario, so we're supporting our local farmers. Just make sure that you are heating your eggnog to 160 degrees. I know a lot of us didn't grow up using thermometers, but it's a really good investment. And if you've ever had food poisoning, I mean, take the 30 seconds and check the temperature of it. and uh, get it to 160, and then you want to cool it in shallow pans in the fridge, and then you could put it in a pitcher, and then you're good to go serving it on ice. I love the thermometer, especially for things like chicken, and even, you know, chicken and the barbecue, because you don't want to get that wrong. No, and, you know, again, yeah, maybe some people for New Year's Day, they're going to do, they're going to have a turkey because maybe they didn't, you know, visit with some family over the holidays. They're going to do the big New Year's Eve uh, day dinner, uh, maybe a ham. These are big um, you know, big birds, you want to make sure it's cooked all the way through because if not, there's bacteria that's there. It could survive and you could get you get sick. But you're right, it's at the barbecue. And again, people can call Eat Right Ontario throughout the year, whether it's barbecue season or even questions around food safety packing their kids' lunches. 
Sour cream is a big one in our household. We love, you know, baked potatoes or, or nachos or taco night and sour cream. Uh, we always have that well stocked. And sometimes we will use it after the best before day. We, we give it the old sniff test. You know, it doesn't really smell like anything. Are we doing the right thing? And, and what, what is it about best before dates that we should keep in mind? Okay, so best before date is not an expiry date. So an expiry date only is uh, on certain foods, and honestly, a handful of foods, like uh, infant formula, um, meal replacements, so people who are really sick, um, and the nutritional quality could be diminished afterwards. So the best before only relates to like quality, taste, freshness, not safety. So there is some wiggle room there. How much wiggle room there is can depend on the food. So again, Eat Right Ontario the dietitians there can help to steer people straight. Um, but you're, you're good for a few days after the best before date. The one food that I would say you want to be careful with, especially, is deli meats. So try to use those deli meats up before the best before date. And, and milk would be in that category, too? You can use it a little, you know, yeah. after that? Oh, yeah, all the dairy. All the dairy, you've got, you've got some wiggle room there. Now, the, another important thing to keep in mind with best before dates is that once you open the product, whether it's buttermilk or your sour cream, like you mentioned, the best before date does not apply. And so how long it keeps after you open it can vary. And again, Eat Right Ontario can actually send you out. They've got like a food storage list. They can email to you. They can mail out nutrition information packages. And it'll show you like where to store stuff. Does it go in the cupboard, the fridge, the freezer, and how long it'll keep. Hmm. So does, does the sniff test actually work? Well, for sure, if something smells bad, then pitch it. But the thing you want to keep in mind is just because it doesn't smell bad, it could still be harbor bacteria that could be very harmful. In fact, some of the most dangerous uh, bacteria, you will not smell, you will not taste, you will not notice it. So um, the sniff test works in that it's, it's great uh, if it smells bad, but it's not a guarantee. And again, aside from food safety, what other issues can folks contact Eat Right Ontario about? Oh, well, um, you know, if uh, maybe, for example, this idea of cleanses that you mentioned, a lot of people will have weight loss on their mind, and maybe they just want to explore, well, why doesn't it work, and why is everyone doing it? Tell me more about that. Um, how do I lower my risk of heart disease? Um, I just found out I have diabetes. Where can I go for help? Where are the diabetes um, centers in my area? Hey, I'm having a hard time making ends meet. Where are the food banks? How can I shop on a budget? How can I use these food uh, this leftovers in my fridge to make a healthy soup. There's, uh, how do I choose a healthy bread or the best yogurt in the grocery store? All these questions are questions they regularly get at Eat Right Ontario. Good stuff. Carol, thanks for the time today and great information. Thank you. Yep. So and people can, again, go to eatrightontario.ca and uh, get the phone number um, or email a dietitian anytime. You got it. one 510 510 Carol, thanks for the time. Happy New Year. Same to you. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Wow. Are the gloves coming off fast and furious or not? The United States says Russia must bear costs for its actions for hacking the U.S. presidential election. Ding, ding, ding. America announcing a sweeping set of punishments targeting Russia's spy agencies and diplomats. Moscow, meantime calling the Obama administration losers and threatened retaliation. A month after an election, the U.S. says Russia tried to sway for Donald Trump. President Barack Obama sanctioned the GRU and the FSB, leading Russian intelligence agencies the U.S. said were involved. Those sanctions could easily be pulled back by President-elect Donald Trump, 
who has himself insisted that Obama and the Democrats are merely attempting to delegitimize his election. In a coordinated response by at least five federal agencies, the Obama administration also sought to expose Russia's cyber tactics with a detailed technical report and hinted it might still launch a covert counterattack. President Obama saying all Americans should be alarmed by Russia's actions. Such activities have consequences. The U.S. kicking out 35 Russian diplomats who they say were actually intelligence operatives and shut down a pair of Russian compounds in New York and Maryland. The government saying those actions were in response to Russia's harassment of U.S. diplomats, calling it part of the pattern of aggression that included the cyber attacks on the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman. Wow, wow, wow. Simon Palomar, research assistant with the Center for International Governance Innovation, joins us now here on the Scott Thompson Show. Simon, how are you? I'm all right, Rick. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for taking uh, some time out of your schedule to join us here uh, over the holiday season. We really appreciate that. Is this a new Cold War between the states and Russia? You know, that's the new Cold War is a term I think everybody's throwing around quite a bit right now. And, uh, I mean, there are certainly some parallels. Uh, throwing out diplomats and suspected intelligence operatives, um, that's not something we've seen in the United States and Russia doing and to each other in quite a while now. And that really is reminiscent of, you know, the battle days of the Cold War when the KGB and the CIA would constantly be, you know, trying to figure out who in the Soviet embassy is actually a spy, who in the American embassy is a spy, and they'd be constantly tit-for-tat sending each other home. Um, so that, you know, it's certainly reminiscent of that behavior. I think we're in a little bit of a different uh, scenario right now, though, than a, than a full-on Cold War. Um, and one of the important reasons there is a lot of this boils down to um, Vladimir Putin, his... Uh, political party, uh, Russia United, United Russia, sometimes it's called, and their particular way of doing business and their willingness to, um, their willingness to use some, some unorthodox or very aggressive, uh, uh, tools in their foreign policy toolkit. So the, the, the challenge here really, it's not necessarily the United States and uh, the Russian people who are adversaries here, but it's really a, a key group of foreign policy thinkers, intelligence thinkers, and uh, politicians around Vladimir Putin and uh, the, the U.S. presidency in this case. In a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you about you know where this leaves Donald Trump as he sets to uh, or is set to officially take office uh, in you know uh, less than three weeks' time, really. Uh, but President Obama said all Americans should be alarmed by Russia's actions. Such activities have consequences. So, should Russia expect even more sanctions? If I were Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin right now, I would expect more sanctions, but I would expect them to be fairly targeted. They're going to target, you know, individuals. These uh, new sanctions that President Obama announced on Thursday, they're really targeting a few people in the Russian military intelligence uh, directorate and in the FSB, which is sort of a, a successor to the old KGB. So these are, these are, you know, targeted sanctions. These are saying these people can't travel to the United States. In some ways, they're meaningless. Generally, uh, top brass in Russian intelligence 
don't travel to the United States because they don't have much to do there. They know they'd be so closely watched that they couldn't accomplish anything if they wanted to, you know, meet with uh, Russian operatives there, and that would you know, blow the cover of those operatives. These are people that tend to stick close to home. So these are more symbolic than anything. But the possibility of more of uh, Vladimir Putin's associates, since it's important to remember uh, the White House has accused uh, Putin personally of uh, approving of these operations to interfere with the American election. election. So we should expect maybe some of Vladimir Putin's close associates. They'll have, you know, if, for example, if they have uh, bank accounts in American banks or assets on American soil, they might see a freeze on those. More sanctions uh, of the narrow tailored type are probably coming. And some some counter-espionage is probably on its way. I know the White House has said, well, we might still do this. I would say it's almost a near certainty that the United States government will retaliate with some cyber espionage, whether it's hacking into some Russian computer systems, uh, stealing uh, information from them in retaliation. However, they won't announce it publicly. They will announce additional sanctions. What do you make of America's decision to um, uh, boot, for lack of a better term, 35 Russian diplomats out of the United States? Is that just another symbolic uh, statement? I think it's a bit more than symbolic. Uh, The important thing to remember about uh, diplomats who are, in fact, intelligence operatives, or let's put it this way, spies posing as diplomats, is that typically, you know, a country like the United States, or a country like Russia, they're going to have a pretty good idea of who they think uh, is, in fact, an intelligence operator who's working at, say, the Russian embassy in Washington or the American embassy in Moscow. Now, the obvious question is, well, why don't they just boot them immediately when they arrive? Well, the fact is, everybody plays this game in, with their rivals of you know trying to get your your spies and your spooks into your into your embassy in a foreign country to kind of keep an eye on things to recruit people, maybe to spy on your uh, your uh, your host government to do those sorts of things. So they all know they're there. So and you know that when you toss them out, sooner or later their replacements will come, and you can vet people and try to make sure they don't get in. But people will sneak in, and and it, it's part of the game. So you tend to only boot them when you really want to send a strong message, because this will set back, for example, Russian efforts to recruit uh, double agents and spies in the United States, at least in the short term. If these 35 people were, in fact, the bulk of Russia's you know, intelligence community in the United States, it certainly does set back their operations for the coming months or year. They have to replace those people ongoing efforts to recruit defense contractors to hand over secrets, for example, you know, those are going to be compromised. So it's a bit more than symbolic. It does have an effect, but it is a a strong message from the Americans that, you know, we are fed up with this. This was crossing a line, and this is maybe an an opening shot in our uh, retaliatory, you know, salvo against you. Chatting about the latest spat between the U.S. and Russia with Simon Palomar, Research Assistant, Center for International Governance Innovation here on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. Rick, in for Scott this week. I'm not a fan of Russia's foreign policy, but Vladimir Putin's response, I thought, was a classic one. If anything, 
unexpected. He said in a statement on the Kremlin's website today that Moscow would not be ejecting American diplomats in response to what he described as provocation aimed at further undermining Russian-American relations. And he went on to say the Russian diplomats returning home will spend the New Year holidays with their relatives and dear ones. We will not create problems for U.S. diplomats. In fact, we will not expel anybody. Moreover, I'm inviting all children of U.S. diplomats accredited in Russia to the New Year and Christmas parties at the Kremlin. A strategic move on his part? You know, it's a good question. Um, I think sometimes we we overblow uh, Vladimir Putin's strategic vision. I think uh, Russian foreign policy under Vladimir Putin often ends up getting Russia into some longer-term challenges. For example, you know, in eastern Ukraine, they uh, supported the rebellion there. Now, unfortunately, they kind of own it. But Vladimir Putin, I think, has a very, very deft tactical mind. You know, short-term thinking, season opportunity, he grabs it. And I think this was this was a very classic move on his part. You know, he knows that Obama is out of office in a little over three weeks. He can wait that out. And, in fact, he can actually drive a further wedge between the incoming president and the American Senate. Since uh, something that's been maybe, I think, lost in a lot of this discussion is that the Senate Republicans who, you know, immediately after Donald Trump got elected, it looked like Republicans were all going to get along. They were going to unify behind uh, Trump despite their differences in the past. But now we've seen some leading uh, foreign policy uh, thinkers in the Republican Party, such as John McCain, Lindsey Graham, who sit on important foreign policy and defense committees in the U.S. Senate, saying that, you know, no, this is something we differ profoundly with. Uh, on, with, from Donald Trump on, that we're not eager to warm up to Russia. We still see Russian foreign policy as a, a threat to American interests, a threat to Europe, and we're going to pursue this uh, this hacking story, this attempt to interfere with American elections and get to the bottom of it. So this is a this is you know I think from Vladimir Putin's perspective, he sees this rift growing between the Republican Party and the Republican president, before that president is even in office, and by saying, you know what, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to, you know, take it in stride, hand an olive branch over to Donald Trump. In some ways, I think that might have the effect of deepening that divide between, between Trump and his party. Since Trump has said, you know, uh, he's essentially said, let bygones be. we got bygones, let's move on from this. You know, Putin offers him an olive branch. Is Trump going to feel, you know, this desire to reciprocate, to maybe lift some of these sanctions? Uh, you know, if he does, that will increase, you know, that will increase the criticism coming from his own party of his foreign policy with Russia. And, and, and it's just important to remember, we're not even on day one of a Trump administration yet, and we've already got this this split setting up between him and his party. And I think I think Putin was very very clever and, and um, very perceptive. He saw that opportunity, and, he, and I think he really did take it. Inauguration day for Donald Trump is January 20th. As you mentioned, he already said, hey, it's time for our country to move on to bigger and better things. But can he just brush off the hacking allegations, or, 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 or does he have to address this head-on? Can he address it head-on? Well, so far, his efforts to you know, brush them off, I think, haven't worked. Uh, as I just mentioned, you have Republicans who are 
increasingly concerned about this, you know, bordering on angry about it. Uh, John McCain and Lindsey Graham led a, a bipartisan delegation to Eastern Europe last week to reassure uh, the United States' Eastern European allies that they're going to stand by them. And that can only, I think, right now be seen as a rebuke to Trump. Uh, Barack Obama, he's got three weeks left, and he's doing what he can to make sure that Donald Trump can't simply say, well, you know, it was his line from the election, something it was like, it could have been a 400-pound guy on his bed in New Jersey, i.e. it could have been some somebody who just wanted to cause mischief that was doing this. Barack Obama is doing what he can to make sure that Donald Trump can't brush it off, that, you know, these sanctions are being applied before you enter office. So if you want to remove them, if you want to get rid of them, you have to do it. They won't expire on their own. You have to do it. So, so far, Trump has not done a good job of of dismissing this issue. He's using the same tactic, I think, that he used during the um, during the election campaign, which was to just deny, ignore, uh, denigrate his opponents, saying, well, it's really nothing. They're sore losers and whatnot. Um, and that may have worked during the election campaign, but now, you know, he's going to be in office four years. He's going to have to live with uh, Republican senators, Democratic senators for four years. He's going to have to live with the United States Department of State, who, you know, have very clear views on Russia, the United States Armed Forces, which has very clear views on Russia. He's going to have to live and work with these people who have different views from him for the next four years. And, uh, so far, they're not letting it go, and his method of simply ignoring the issue is not working, which makes me think that he will at some point have to sit down with U.S. intelligence officials, with U.S. diplomats, with U.S. military officials, and take a, a cold, hard look at the evidence that the U.S. has uncovered uh, linking the uh, the interference attacks to Russia, and he will, I think, have to address it, whether he likes it or not. One last question. We just have about a minute to, or so to go. Um, you mentioned all the internal pressures that Donald Trump is going to face. Is there going to be international pressure that he is going to endure in regards to U.S.-Russia relations? I think that depends on what um, the Kremlin does next. And uh, my impression is, as I was saying before, I tend to think of Vladimir Putin, his entourage as being very good at short-term tactical decision-making. And I think right now they realize that momentum in some ways is on their side because the fight right now is increasingly between Americans, not between the United States and Russia, but amongst the Americans. So long as I think Russia, you know, keeps its cool, doesn't uh, interfere um, in a similar fashion in upcoming European elections. You know, we have French elections for the presidency coming up. We have uh, German elections for the chancellorship coming up. If they keep that quiet and don't overplay their hand, I think that will minimize, at least in the short run, pressure from very concerned European countries on Donald Trump. That being said, there are already rumors of uh, French and German intelligence digging up evidence that, you know, Russian intelligence agencies or Russian-sponsored groups are attempting to 
some of the same tricks that they tried in the American election. You know, the evidence isn't clear yet, and we're both in early day. We're in early days on both of those elections, but I think that if uh, Russian intelligence attempts the same operations that they seem to successfully in the United States and Europe, that will gather the attention of several European capitals, and, you know, Donald Trump makes his first uh, trip to Europe sometime in the new year, he will hear, he will have an earful about, you know, American policy towards Russia perhaps being too soft and not taking the challenge seriously enough. Simon, we're plumb out of time. I appreciate uh, the analysis as always. Uh, Have a happy new year. We'll talk to you in 2017. Well, happy new year, Rick. Take care. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Tonight at 8 p.m., the CBC will air its Royal Canadian Air Force New Year's Eve special. It's going to be rebroadcast tomorrow and on Sunday as well. The annual New Year's Eve TV special has been airing since 1992. And as always, the one-hour show will profile the biggest news stories, events, people, and pop culture phenomena of the past year in only the way the Air Force can. So what can viewers expect tonight? Well, joining us now is Jessica Holmes, who is returning to Air Force after a six-year hiatus and joins us now on the Scott Thompson Show. Jessica, how are you? I'm awesome. How are you guys? I'm incredible as well. Thank you for joining us today and taking the time out of your busy schedule. We really appreciate that. So, oh yes, I was busy chilling some champagne. For the show <laughs> well, good for you. Good for you. I know you don't want to spill all the beans, and we don't want you to to do that. But what can you tell us about tonight's show? What can we expect? Oh, you know what? It it looks better than it has ever looked. They put a lot of um, effort this year into shooting videos that are meant to sort of look like movie parodies or TV show parodies. And we do one of the Netflix series, Stranger Things. Okay. And I have to tell you, I grew up not very cool. This is the (laughs) coolest thing I've ever been a part of. It has boosted my self-esteem. Um, even though I'm playing the character 11, who is uh, a little girl and I don't make a very attractive little girl, but um, <laughs> that's not what comedy's about. That's right. We take one for the team. Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, celebrity parodies, um, and Craig Lozon does uh, the best um, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Obama. Yeah, covering all the politics. And uh, I myself was um, heartbroken that it is still too soon to laugh at Celine Dion, so I could not play Celine <laughs> oh, Dion. Oh, no! Year. No, but I did get a close second, which is uh, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Oh, that'd be good. So yeah. are, are we going to see the PM, perhaps, as well? Uh, yes, not the real PM. Okay. We tried to get him, but he was busy taking photos, I think. Um, <laughs> selfies. So we, yes, doing selfies. <laughs> so we have uh, Craig Lozon playing um, Justin Trudeau. Well, that's he, good enough. That's actually better. Uh, there you go. Well, you can have you can have more fun with it, and it's awesome. They do a parody of Rihanna's work video, oh. uh, but of course she's telling Trudeau that he needs to work more, take fewer selfies, put his shirt back on, that kind of thing. <laughs> Quit the boxing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I know the uh, New Year's Eve special has had guest stars in the past. Are we are we going to see some more guest stars tonight? Yes. You know what? Uh, Murdoch Mysteries Yannick Bisson is there. And Christine Sinclair, who's the captain of Canada's women's soccer team. So for anyone who had been cheering her on all summer, like me, uh, in the Olympics, um, will totally fan out. 
over her being in a sketch. That sounds pretty fun. Yeah. Do you have, and this is obviously not your first go-round with the Royal Canadian Air Force, and we'll talk about the six-year layoff and what you've been up to and all that kind of stuff, but Mm -hmm. do you have a highlight over the last number of New Year's Eve specials that you've done that, that really still sticks in your mind to say, man, that was really good? Oh, my gosh. Uh, for me, playing Michael Jackson was oh, yeah, okay. the all end all. And that was years ago. I mean, um, and they actually brought in a choreographer and stuff. And really? So you had dances. to learn all the moves in the whole thing? Yeah. So to me, that was like just incredibly cool. I was really grateful for that opportunity. Um, some of the accents over the years have been really interesting to learn. And even this year, I do... I do Princess Kate, who's very measured and tempered and very high class. But then right after (laughs) shooting that sketch, I had to run backstage, change wigs and change wardrobe and run back out as this crazy woman called Sister Bessie. And she's got an accent like this and she's all very angry at everybody. And so I was always in rehearsal. I was completely confusing it between (laughs) the the two accents, but got it right on the night. Suddenly Princess Kate sounds like an old Scottish woman. I know, I know. They're like, don't hunch so much. It's weird. Uh, how much rehearsal time do you guys put in before the, the finished product is put together? Um, when I was with the series uh, ages ago, we, we rehearsed a lot more. But now for the special, they're, uh, they're putting more time into pre-shoots, and we have a bit less time for rehearsal, which makes me happy. Because then you sort of, there's some magic left for when you're shooting it. Like there's a bit of the unknown and a bit of panic. And I remember Kelsey Grammer always said that he only learned his lines to 90% so that the adrenaline of being terrified you were going to fail and not know your lines would would boost his performance. Hmm. And so, I mean, I guess that's what a slacker says. (laughs) I didn't didn't learn my lines, but it's because I wanted to be good. Um, But no, for me, I... I love the thought that there's going to be a bit of unknown and a bit of magic in the show. Mm -hmm. We're chatting with uh, Jessica Holmes, uh, actress uh, who is returning to the Royal Canadian Air Force and uh, is going to be highlighted in tonight's New Year's Eve special on the CBC, broadcasting at 8 p.m., and it'll be rebroadcast tomorrow and on Sunday. Uh, You mentioned Michael Jackson. Has there been a a character or even a recurring character that you just love playing? Oh, my gosh. Who do I love? Well, Celine Dion... Um, who I'm sure I'll do, hopefully, knock on wood, at next year's special. But um, she, for me, was someone that I only started doing her because I had a monologue like 15 years ago that just wasn't getting the laughs I wanted. And I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe if I try it with an accent. Sure, I'll try to Celine Dion, what the heck. And then I did her a few times, and people were laughing. And then I was like, okay, now I'm going to move on. But people kept asking and requesting, and even now it's my most requested character. So I just keep on singing and dancing and... (laughs) Pulling out the accent, and I'm a total people pleaser. So if <laughs> audiences want, then Cillian will sing. Damn it! <laughs> What's it like coming off uh, a six-year hiatus and joining a, a, a group of people who obviously you're very familiar with? So I, I was so familiar with them, and they're like family to me. Mm-hmm. And I think part of why I wanted to leave six years ago was I was so cozy there and um, felt like I was almost taking that job for granted, like sort of uh, not not pushing myself as much as I, I should be. And so I left to go do solo work and focus on doing stand-up and doing motivational speaking. And I got to do those things and, and assumed that that would just be my, my path. But then last year, I sat down with my kids who are eight and nine, and we watched the New Year's Eve special. 
and they were like, what are you, you're telling me you could have been on this show? What is wrong with you, woman? (laughs) And we just thought it was really fun, really magical. So um, after the show ended, I I called Dawn and I was like, you know what? I really, really missed the show and, Mm -hmm. and it's just incredible. Do you have room for one more next year? And they were very sweet, and they made room. So what did you miss most about it? The, just the people, or working with the people, or doing the different sketches? Uh, d- definitely the people, because they're, they're such a tight-knit group, and it's been the same crew for so many years. It's beautiful to see the loyalty that they have. Um, but I would also say the, the makeup and the wigs, like kind of bringing the magic with it. When I perform live, I don't have the luxury of, like, bringing people with me to do it's it's all just in how i use my voice so right. it's really exciting to actually have people hired to go out and choose the best costumes or for example princess kate i i wish i looked like princess kate but that is just <laughs> not happening but the makeup artists really work their magic and somehow made me look younger with less of a pear-shaped head and <laughs> kind of helped me live my dream of looking like princess kate so, so are you and, bringing them home after the show? or? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, <laughs> who I'm not bringing home, like I said, is the uh, the kid I played in Netflix. That was not <laughs> That is not the most attractive look, me with a shaved head. Um, yeah, I think you have to have a good shaved head to do the, the bald wig. You mentioned, but, doing, um, you mentioned doing some solo stuff over the last six years. Uh, what have you been up to? What have, what have you been doing? I ended up uh, training as a wellness coach, and um, I overcame postpartum depression when my kids were born and then sort of had another bout of depression uh, about five years ago. Mm -hmm. And when I recovered from that, I just felt like, okay, I don't ever want to go back there again. Like, what can I do to live in a way that is stable and positive and full of gratitude? Yeah. And so anyway, I, I trained as a wellness coach and kind of got to know some of the tricks of that and, and, tried it out in my own life and felt passionate about it. So then I got into motivational speaking because I'm the kind of person where as soon as like within six seconds of learning something, I just want to go tell 20 people about it. So now on stage, I do a mix of comedy and I throw in a little feel good stuff. And it's been really, um, I'm just so grateful for it. It's really rewarding to sort of go share my story, hoping that anyone who either knows someone who has, mental illness or depression or someone who's maybe in a dark time if they're sitting in the audience it's nice to sort of hear someone else say i've been there i know it's hard that's hard but um and then come out the other side so that is very validating and and something i want to keep doing in my career um it gives it meaning i mean i know it's like the wigs and the goofy voices and stuff like that but i feel like if i can also throw a little a little kindness in there that means a lot to me that's really an inspirational story, and congratulations in, in overcoming that, and not only doing that, but then sharing your story and inspiring others to, you know, climb that mountain as well. Was there a trigger that, you know, in, in those in those dark days, if I can put it that way, was there a trigger that said, you know, you know, enough of this, i got to do something? Well, it took, me, it took me two years to get out of the, um, to even realize I was depressed and right. then get out of the depression that I was in. I My thing was I sort of... I had let myself slip down to a place where I wasn't questioning anymore, like, why am I tired every day? Why am I, like, laying on the sofa? Why do I feel so discouraged to try anything? Um, And I I had stopped kind of looking at my life and saying, is this what was on my vision board? Right, right. (laughs) Is this my dream life? Um, 
And so realizing what the problem was, like getting a diagnosis was, was a very big deal. And then um, realizing that it's, it's not making big changes in your life, or at least in my life, it wasn't for me. It was tiny things. It was just like a little exercise every day or, for example, the best advice my therapist gave me, she was like, get a dog because a dog means you have to leave the house. You have hmm. to have a reason to leave the house every day and right. you kind of get past yourself. And um, and also just feeling like I want to give a piece of myself away in my career. Because I will say a career in entertainment is full of so much, so many highs and lows and the highs make it worth it, but the lows aren't so nice. The rejection's pretty tough. And so I wanted to give my career more meaning so that when the when the rejections come, you go, oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. That who cares about that? That's the tiniest little piece of this beautiful career that I have. And so putting the meaning in it with um, the motivational speaking and working on a book about depression, those type of things for me um, make it so much more joyful and and able to not look at it as being full of highs and lows, but just being. Um, something that fulfills me. And by the way, there's a couple little mosquito bites along the way. <laughs> what kind of response do you get from fellow actors or fellow comedians who, who uh, you know, live through those highs and lows? Uh, well, Mike McDonald, um, who's one of my favorite comedians, said uh, there's two types of comedians, those who are depressed and those who aren't diagnosed yet. Hmm. And so I was like, oh, I... I think that it's a very introspective type of person who goes into comedy in mm -hmm. the first place. Mm -hmm. And then I think the business can also, if you're not the most resilient person in the world, um, can sort of take you into a, a darker place. So it's, it's not a great mix. And for example, when with the passing of Robin Williams, I just felt like, oh my gosh, like it's even the most successful comedian one of the most successful comedians in the world i would say he was and, right. and you think you know if if he's not immune to his demons then how can anybody say they are kind of thing but i was really glad that um everyone started talking about depression after his passing and so um at least it served some purpose to get people more aware of it and i love the bell let's talk campaign um i feel like society right now it's been it's become okay to to talk about it. Like, I think people aren't scared they're going to be fired if right. they're going through something and they ask for some help. We're chatting with uh, Jessica Holmes, actress and comedian with the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force. They have their New Year's Eve special tonight at 8 p.m. on uh, the CBC. It'll be rebroadcast tomorrow and on Sunday. You mentioned you have uh, a couple of kids, I think age 8 or 9, you suggested. Uh, yes. Are, are, uh, do they have any kind of inkling towards getting into acting? Uh, not if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> I'm always like... What a good teacher you would make. <laughs> what a wonderful mathematician you'd be. Um, and it's only because, my gosh, like my husband is a spiritual coach, and I am an actor and comedian, and I just feel like there is zero stability in our household. So I'm like, kids, <laughs> get something stable where you can just pay for us later in life. You can help move us into our trailer park. Right. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I feel very blessed and fortunate. But um, they came to see the Air Force taping, okay. and they loved some of the sketches. And I was like, well, what was your favorite one? And they were like, well, in between the sketches, there were guys who came out and, and played music, and that was our favorite. And I was like, ouch, bad kids. Bad <laughs> You're like, kids. hello. No. <laughs> I know, I know. But I think for them, they're so used to seeing me be a dork that sure, they weren't sure. terribly surprised by it. But 
for me, this was like a once a year special thing. And um, even in rehearsal, oh my gosh, like uh, Emma and Aisha and Daryl, they're the, the younger cast members who have joined us and they are hysterical, like off the cuff, funny. So we have a great time on stage and off and it's, it was really nice to, to go be with those people again for a month and then and then see each other again in 11 months. <laughs> <laughs> so do you plan to make this a, a permanent stay with the Air Force and, and year in and year out come back? Oh, my gosh. If, uh, if Don Ferguson, the producer, is listening, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? It was really, um, it was very cool to sort of feel like, I've, I feel like I'm getting away with something, like I'm having my cake and eating it too, because right. for the 11 months of the year, I'll... I'll do my solo work and my motivational stuff that is really liberating, and then I can go be part of a team and part of a family and and stuff for the other month. And, yeah, that would be great if that happened. Sounds very cool. Thanks for sharing your story. Uh, uh, Obviously, I don't don't even have to wish you luck because the Royal Canadian Air Force hits it out of the park each and every year with their New Year's Eve special. But continued success with everything else that you do, Jessica. Thanks for the time today, and Happy New Year. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Hope everyone's watching at 8. Have a great night. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.